Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, in the book of Psalms, church, Warren Wearsby, when he writes the book of Psalms, he writes this. He says, the editor who placed this jewel, Psalm 1, in the beginning did a very, very wise thing. He goes on to say, for it points the way to blessings and warns about divine judgment. You see, the Psalms have a wonderful capacity to do something that we all long for. You go, what's that, Pastor? It, it, it captures the reality of human experiences. How so? When you're reading through the Psalms and you see how David is, you're going, man, I can relate. You know, sometimes David is just out of control, whiny. Oh, God, you can't believe this. And we'll get into that in a minute. Other times he's like, praise God, this is amazing. I'm going to jump off this cliff and fly like an eagle. And you're just like, I feel that way sometimes. And that's exactly what the Psalms do. Why? Well, if you're taking note, you can jot this down. They express the, the emotions. They express personal feelings, attitudes, gratitudes, really in interests of the average individual. That's what the Psalms do, church. Listen, they express emotions. They express personal feelings. They express attitudes, gratitudes, and the interest of the average individual. One reason why people love the Psalms is that we can each usually identify the Psalms with our own experience. You can pinpoint one and go, that's me. That's me. There was a time in my life when I was struggling each and every day, and as I read the psalm each day and I could see David crying out to the Lord about his enemies, I could actually relate, and I could say, God, I feel that same way. God, why are my enemies against me? Lord, what did I do? And I would cry out the same way. And so the psalms are really, they really touch our hearts. They help us identify with our own experiences. One writer wrote about the psalms, quote, in every experience of our own, no matter how deep the pain or how great the frustration or how exhilarating the joy, we can find psalms with echo, our inmost beings, psalms with God uses to bring comfort and to confirm release, end quote. Now, churches, we make our way through the psalms. We must remember that the psalms is like the other wisdom literature of the Old Testament. You go, what is that? Uh, if you have room in your notes, you can realize that Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes are known as Hebrew poetry. That's Job, right? Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are Hebrew poetry as much as the Psalms. And so it's a little bit different. You go, well, like what? Okay, so what do you mean Hebrew poetry? Well, unlike English poetry, which emphasizes rhyme and meter... Hebrew poetry relies on other characteristics for its impact like parallelism and figures of speech. So like the English will be like, it's going to emphasize on rhyme and meter. This is a little bit and, and so much deeper. Hebrew poetry is so much deeper. Give me an example, Pastor Ben. Well, English verses manipulate sound and emphasizes rhymes and meter. Hebrew poetry repeats and rearranges thoughts rather than sounds. What are you talking about? 
Guys, sometimes in the Hebrew poetry, it gets so deep that it touches your soul. It's not just, you know, Jack and Jill went up a hill to fetch a pail. It's so deep that you're like, wow, I can relate to this. And I'm struggling. And church, isn't that what it's like in our world at times? There are times when we're on top of the mountaintop and we're praising God with our hands lifted high. And we're conquering the world. And there are other times when we're on the valley crying out to God and we can barely lift our heads to praise the Lord. And the Psalms come in as such a comfort. And I'll tell you why. Because I look at the different writers, particularly David, I know that he struggles just like me. You see, we look at the Bible and we see they're heroes of the faith. Are you kidding me? I want to be a Paul. I want to be. And we'll look at the heroes of the faith. And I want to be a David. I mean, think about David. David stood in the valley of Elah, right? And he took out a stone and boom, and he killed that giant. And I wanted to be there. But David was also a man who was running from Saul. He was also, you know, hiding in caves with with a a band of brothers, if you will, a band of, of misfits. And so David knows what it's like to live every day not knowing if there's going to be a tomorrow. Pastor Ben, I got a question for you. I'm not living, uh, running from Saul. So, but, but no, 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 no. Listen, listen. We can relate. How so? We can relate in every circumstance in our life. As you begin to put the pieces of the puzzle of your life together, you go, oh, yes, those are those times. Those are those times. If you're taking notes, guys, not only is it Hebrew poetry, but there are many types of psalms, many types. While praise and prayer characterize the psalms as a whole, they can also be categorized as, as such, right? And I'm just going to give you a few, but, a few, but there's, there's the praise. There's the praise psalms. You go, well, like what? Well, again, if you're taking note, and these will be quick, Psalm 33 Psalm 103, Psalm 39, guys, these are praise psalms. These are psalms that an expression of approval or admiration for someone or something, the expression of respect and gratitude is the act of worship. You know, pastor, there are some days in my life when I feel like just worshiping God. What psalms should I read? Well, you can go to Psalm 33, you can go to Psalm 103, and, and you're going to just relate because you're going to see the writer of the psalm praise the Lord, right? You go, well, what else? Well, we have praise, but we also have what we call historical psalms. And those psalms would be something like Psalm 68, Psalm 78, 105, 106. These are historical psalms. And then we have like relational psalms. This would be Psalm 8, Psalm 16, Psalm 20, Psalm 23, Psalm 55. These are, these are, these are Psalms that are just relational in its content. Then we have impeccatory Psalms. Impeccatory, what are those? Well, let me give you with those Psalms. It's Psalm 35, Psalm 69, Psalm 109, and Psalm 137. You go, what, what exactly is that is? Well, if you look it up in the dictionary, here's what it means. It means to pronounce a curse or invoke something against someone. These are those Psalms where it's like, ah, it's going to pronounce a curse or invoke something against someone. You go, give me an example. Psalm 69, 1 through 4 goes, says this. The writer says, save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink deep in mire. Where there is no standing, I have come into deep waters. 
where the floods overflow me. I am weary with crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail as I wait for God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. You see how he, again, you see how that psalm plays out? It's an impeccatory song. And it's to pronounce a curse or invoke something against someone. Then we have a penitential song. And that's a, that's verse, that's a Psalm 6 and a Psalm uh, 32, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, 143. And you go, what exactly does that mean? Well, it's in relating to or express, expressing penitence or penance. This is where he comes and he's like, oh God, I'm sorry. And then, last but not least, another type of the Psalms are the Messianic Psalms. And that would be like Psalm 2 or Psalm 8 or Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Psalm 40, 45, 69, 72, 89, 102, 109. Of course, this doesn't list, guys, all the 150 songs, but I'm giving you some types so we understand that. Why? Because in our playlist, we would all have different kinds of music, wouldn't we? We'd have some really, this is, I mean, I, I think of my running playlist, right? When I get out there and I start running, I'll put on my running playlist, and they're not songs that are slow because I don't want to just get bogged down in the song. These are songs that are fast and moving, and then right when I get tired, I'll put on a really fast song, and, and again, why? Because that's what it is. That's exactly what's going on, but your playlist might be different. Your playlist might be, you know, you get in the car, and you're driving home, and you need a little bit of smooth jazz because if you don't when you get home you're going to just be upset you're going to just be angry and you're just like da, 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 and it helps you relax but there might be other times on your playlist that you want to get going you want to sing you want to you know you put it on and man there you are michael jackson and you're just having a good time in your car and whatever it is whatever whatever you like to listen to it's your playlist that's how we're going to go through the Psalms. Now, we will at least try to talk about each type of the Psalms in the playlist. Like, we we'll, might pull a messianic. We might come over here and talk a little bit, you know, uh, I mean, the different ones. We might talk about praise. We might talk about a historical or relational, just depending on how the Spirit moves us. Now, keep in mind, guys, as we make our way through the Psalm 1, okay? Now, back in our, this kind of go through that. Make our way. We discover something about Psalm 1. What's that, Pastor? The Psalm is presented in two ways. The way of blessing and the way of judgment. Which choice Israel had to make? As a matter of fact, Jesus uses the same similar image. You go, how so? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, 7 verses 13 and 14, Jesus reminds us, he says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it, right? So what's he doing? Well, Jesus reminds us there's two ways. There's two paths. There's two destinies. He goes, listen, listen. He goes, don't go by the wide gate, man. A lot of people are just kind of cruising by the wide gate. It's all, it's all easy, man. It's like, it's like a four lane highway, man, and cruise control. Everybody's running. He says, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to enter through the narrow gate. 
And he says, and it's, and it's difficult. It's hard. There's rocks. There's cactus. Be careful. It's the narrow gate. Not a lot of people are going through the narrow gate. Why? Because we all like comfort. Don't don't get me wrong. I love the four-lane highway that's newly paved, right? And I can be in a straight line. I don't have to worry. Just drive. But Jesus says, now there's what? There's two, two choices. There's a choice you have to make, church. Jesus tells us, enter by the narrow gate. Why? Because the wide gate leads to destruction. The narrow gate is hard. It's rough. But if you go through the narrow gate, you're going to find life. You're going to find life. Of course, if we were to look at Bible history, right, it seems to be built around this concept. Why? Because in Bible history, there's always the first Adam, right? Where do we find the first Adam? In Genesis. And we also have the last Adam. We find that in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. You go, who was the last Adam? Jesus, right? Jesus. You had the first Adam come up. Blew it, big time. Do you understand that when Adam and Eve sinned, do you, do you get this, church? That it fractured everything in its path, even up until now. It's fractured the universe. It's fractured the world. Do you realize that the world is groaning because of sin? We, we, listen, it, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic because when it comes to sin... There are times when we know here's the line. The line, we know that sin is just on the other side, but we don't understand how brutal and, and what sin actually does that we sort of look to the right and we look to the left and we sort of, you know, justify and then we step on over. And then we feel, we feel the beautiful conviction, okay? Not the condemnation. We feel the beautiful conviction and go, oh, Oh, something's not right. My heart hurts. And that's what sin does, right? But, but we do that a lot. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is we keep jumping the line, right? Eventually, we don't feel the conviction anymore. The problem with sin, guys, is it separates us from God. I don't want to be separated from God. He's the God that created me, and he's the God that loves me, and he's the God that's going to walk with me. But sin does that. Well, we have, we have, that's what the first Adam did, but our second Adam came, and he what? And he restored all things. How? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. But you know how much we love God? You know how much we love Jesus? Jesus is such a gentleman that he'll say, listen, enter, come on in, I love you. But he gives you the choice. He never forces you. Oh, oh, what, what, what's the matter, Jesus? You're my kid. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, I'll give my life. Oh, I'll give my life to you. Gosh. He never does that. He's such a gentleman that he says, hey, will you come? I love you. I've got a, I've got a great plan for your life. I've got a great purpose. Here's the problem, guys. We wake up, and no matter how, what age you are, we wake up, and here's the number one question. What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Why am I here? Right? When we're growing up as teenagers, we say it other way. I don't know why I was even born. We say that like that, but, but really the question is, what, what is, what is my purpose? Am I just random? Am I just random? Do I even have a purpose? Do I even matter? If I were to, if I were to be gone today, would anybody care? 
And see, the Lord says, listen, I'm, I'm never going to force my love on you, but I am going to tell you, listen, I care. But you got to trust me. You got to put your faith and trust that I'm going to walk with you every single day. How is God going to walk with me? By faith. Trust me. Trust me. That's the concept, right? So you have the first Adam, you have the last Adam. Give me some other ones, Pastor. Well, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, right? You also have Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael and Isaac, right? You guys realize that these are bros, right? These are bros, but they were 13 years apart. Then you have Esau and Jacob. Now, these guys are twins. And you know the story, right? When, when Esau was born, it was a rug. I mean, that's really what it was. I mean, it was like, oh, my gosh, this dude's so hairy. He came out that they named him Harry. That's, what, that's how bad it is, you know? That's pretty bad that when you're born, that you look at you and go, oh, wrinkly. I mean, could you imagine? If you're born, you can't, oh, let's name him wrinkly. That's what we're going to name him. He's wrinkled, right? That's what they did with Esau. But they were twins. And Jacob comes out, and you know the story. And, of course, David and Saul, right? David and Saul. And, of course, when history, you know, um, culminates, we're going to see Christ versus who? The Antichrist. The Antichrist. So, if you're taking notes, guys, I'm calling this message, Two Men, Two Ways, Two Destinies. Another way you can put it or subtitled, where are you going? Where are you going? Two men, two ways, two destinies. Where are you going? This first psalm, guys, we've always read it. We'd like to read it. Some of us, we just jumped to Psalm 23 because we've heard it forever. You know, so, but, but, but this one is just so beautifully strategically placed at exactly how it sets the stage for the rest of them. But see, the subject matter in Psalm 1 is very general and very basic. But it touches on two subjects that continually occur throughout the Psalms, right? You go, Pastor, what are you doing? I'm laying a foundation for the rest of our study so you understand. Why? Here's what I want to do. Okay, here's my heart. Can I share my heart with you guys? Listen, I know that the world is a cruel place. I know it's not all rainbows and butterflies, okay? So my job is to give you a good foundation so that when, when the winds start to blow in, in, in your life, whatever it might be, that you'll be able to stand. And that's what I want to do. You guys remember the story? We were in Florida uh, back in January, and I remember walking out to the beach, and I remember standing on the beach, and you realize that, that the waves were starting to come, right? And the farther you walk out, the bigger the waves. Here's what would happen. Each wave would come, and some of them would be a little, and they would try to knock me down, but I'd just kind of jump over and be like, that's nothing. Then a bigger wave would come, and a bigger wave would come, and here's what's happening. And, and the Lord spoke to me so clear, I'll never forget it, guys. He said, this is how life is. There are times there are little waves, and we just like, oh, no biggie. We got through it, praise the Lord. And then there are waves that are going to, wanting to knock us down. Amen? But all the while, I didn't realize this. As I'm standing, the sand under my feet was, was heading back into the ocean, and, and I was losing my footing. A lot of us are concentrating on the waves as they come, but realize that we're losing our footing because we don't have a foundation. And that's what we want to do here, guys. We want to go through the Word of God. Oh, church, I could preach to you on a Wednesday night and we can have feel-good messages and we can have rah-rahs and we can be excited and I can motivate you to go out there and attack the world tomorrow. But 
But I don't want that to be the shifting sand under your feet where, whoa. Because I guarantee you, it's been said that you're either right in the midst of a trial, you're coming right out of a trial, or you're about to go in a trial. And so what you need is you need a foundation. And that's what we're doing here. That's what Psalm 1 sets up the rest of the book. A good foundation. Psalm 1 declares, church, the blessedness and the righteousness and the misery in the future of the wicked. Man's spiritual life is set forth negatively and positively, inward, outwardly, figuratively, literally. Above all, it summarizes that all that is to follow in the rest of the Psalms and really, for that matter, the rest of Scripture. Psalm 1, it presents two ways in life a way of righteousness, and the way of the wicked. However, the subject of the centrality church of the word of God to the life and the fruitfulness of the righteous of those who love his word. What did you say? The key to the subject, the key to Psalm 1, is the centrality of God's word. Two great applications flow out of this psalm. You go, what are they? The importance and absolute necessity of the scripture. That's the first thing. Number two, the changed character, stability, and fruitfulness it promises to those who make scripture the core of their lives. Okay? Let me say this again because I'm setting, I'm setting this up. You go, what is that? The key, right? The key subject to Psalm 1 is the centrality of God's word in our lives. Now, before we jump into our text, guys, I'd like to, with your permission, explore a little bit more about the centrality of God's word in our lives, in each one of us. You go, okay, pastor, Hold your finger here. Just go a little bit um, over to um, Isaiah chapter 50. So you want to go a little bit to the right, okay? You're going to hit the Proverbs right after Psalms, and then you're going to hit Ecclesiastes. You'll hit Song of Solomon, and then you'll hit Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50. I want to show you something that's so important. And we're only going to cover just a couple of verses, but I want to show you this, okay? Okay. Isaiah chapter 50, looking at verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 50, 4 and 5, notice, Isaiah writes, The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak. A word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear And I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Let me give you an easier translation. Isaiah 54 in the Good News Bible, it says this, The sovereign Lord has taught me what to say so that I can strengthen the weary. Each morning he makes me eager to hear what he's going to teach me. The Lord has given me understanding, and I have not rebelled or turned away from him. Your attention, please. Isaiah 
presents a passionate view of God's word in our lives. That's what he does. You see, God's word should, listen to me, church, play a significant role in your life. Unfortunately, the word of God is often regulated in just a few moments of our day. And yet, we understand that it's the centrality of who we are as believers. The centrality, the central core of who we are as believers should be the word of God. That's what Isaiah is telling us. The enemy, guys, the enemy wants to take that and minimize it to just a few moments in our lives. Would you agree with me that there are times that the amount of time you spend in God's word is the amount of time you get in your car, you put on the radio, and you drive to work? Yo, Pastor, why did you bring that up? Man, it's Wednesday night. Because that's happened to me. It's about that amount of time. Hey, Ben, did you have your quiet time? I sure did, me and Caleb, and we're on our way. But I'm not really in, I'm not really in the word of God, right? That's what the enemy does. Why? The enemy says, hey, you're too busy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We have, we all have 24 hours, but sometimes I feel like we're busy. We're just busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. No, no, no. We need to take some mind. Why? Because that's exactly what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, listen, 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 listen. He's going to present a passionate view of God's word in our lives. He's going to pay that, right? And so the question we ask is, are we open to the role God's word should play in our lives? And you go, pastor, absolutely. Yes. Well, here's what I want you to know. I want you to note the centrality of God's word in our lives is very important. Can I get an amen? Why? The writer tells us that God has given us a learned tongue. What does that mean? Because he says that God, he'll teach you what to say. He has taught me what to say. When you go for counseling for any reason, do you want the word of God or do you want somebody's opinion? Well, Pastor, I want the word of God. I want, I want what God says. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, he's taught me what to say. The idea here is the one who knows the word of God, this person who knows the word of God, speaks the word of God. That's what he's saying. How is that so important in your life? Listen, I want you to take, I want you to just... Just for a moment, go in your mind, think about your recent conversation you had someone with somebody, and did the word of God spill out? Ooh, I'm not coming back to Calvary. The pastor steps on my toes. No, no, no. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you to see how important it is to have the word of God in your heart so that when you're talking, it just flows out. Now, yeah, you may start the conversation like, hey, that's a cool hat, bro. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. but eventually what will happen is that it'll just bubble up. And the question will come up and you'll be like, well, you know what? I was reading the other day in the book of so-and-so, and, and here's how it spoke to me. And, and your friend's going to go, oh, bro, that's what I needed to hear. Wow. Or your sister and Christ is going to go, wow, I just really needed that. See, the word of God is not harsh, guys. It's our conviction and it's our relationship to, our relationship to it that gets us all mad when, when somebody speaks the truth. 
And so, and so the idea is, is really simple, that you know the word of God and you speak the word of God. And this really should be the goal for each one of us, right? To speak the knowledge of the word of God. The word of God. Here's a sub point that I don't even have in my notes, so it's, I won't charge you for it. I mean, it's, it's all free. When, everybody, when anybody comes up to you and says, hey, I've got a new revelation from God, or I've got this from God, in the same way that you should know the word of God and speak the word of God, what should be your response? Okay, show me. In the word of God. No, no, it's not in the word of God. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Why? Because, guys, we only want what's in the Word of God. Listen, pastors, love them. I'm one. Hello. But we're human. And it's, our, it's all of our job to make sure that we're all in the Word of God. What would happen if you just ate on Wednesday night or Sunday morning? That's all you ate. Well, I'd be hungry. I'm, I eat on Sunday morning. I get hungry Sunday night. Of course we do, right? Because we're used to eating at least two meals a day. Some of us three. It's the same thing spiritually. If you're only eating just a little bit, you're going to get hungry and hungry. So here's the point. It is so good to come in here and study and go, Pastor, that's awesome. Take notes, guys. Take notes, learn, ask questions. But here's, here, here's where you need to be. You need to study at home for yourself. You need, to, you need to take some time and go, God, I want to know your word. I want, and you know what I found? I found that most of the time when I'm studying in a private situation with the Lord, he tends to use it that day for somebody. It's a crazy thing, man. I, I'm just, this is just for me. I'm like, God, this is for me. This is so cool. And I'll just, be, it'll just, I'll just be bubbling up for me, and then somebody will, and it'll just relate, and I'll be just like, hey, check it out. Boom. That's what I learned today. That's the first thing, guys. The centrality of God's word in our lives is what? Is so that we know and that we're able to minister to others. The writer also tells us the purpose of God's word in our lives is so that we can be used to, used by God to minister the word to others. Notice what it says. It says, the sovereign Lord has taught me what to say so that I can strengthen the weary. Two quick points on this, church. We learn the word of God for our own growth, and we learn the word of God to teach others and help others. Right? That's how. That's why we learn the God. We learn so we can grow, but we also use it to, What? notice what he says. He said, strengthen the weary. Why? Let me let you in a little secret. I don't know if you know this, but you're part of a body. And sometimes the body of Christ it gets tired and it gets weary. And God says, man, I want you to use to strengthen your brother. I want you to lift him up. Man, he's, he's weary. He's tired. Listen, church, I'm going to say this. We're not called to shoot wounded Christians. I messed up, God. I'm sorry. Come here. Boom. Don't ever do that again. You need to be perfect like me. Any question? We, but do we, now nobody would do that, but don't we do that? Don't we do that in our minds and in our hearts? Oh, we won't, we don't really do that, but then we start going, well, okay, sinner. Don't hang around that person. But 
That's what we do in our minds. And, and that's not what God called. God called us to be a body. And he called us to be a unit. He called us and he says, okay, strengthen. Strengthen. True confession, guys. True confession. We are not very quick to run to a brother with our problems, are we? Ain't nobody knew my business. I'm struggling, but nobody need to know my business. No, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to call, call on a brother and say, hey, can you pray for me? Here's, here's what I'm struggling with. This is what the body of Christ does. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of that we're going to be judged. I'd rather be judged on being human, right? Judged as a normal guy who struggles than be judged as, you know, super pastor who's hypocritical. Uh, no, man I, man, I struggle. You do? Yeah. You have flesh sometimes. You get in the flesh most of the time. You have to fight that just like you. It's a growing process. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, Take the teachings that you've heard me proclaim in the presence of many witnesses and entrust them to reliable people who are able to teach others also. That's what we want to do. We want to take what we've learned and give them, trust them to other people so they can continue to minister. Okay, last thought. Last thought on this. Notice how the word of God awakens us morning by morning. He calls us to come and sit and learn from his word. As we tune into him, church, he will awaken us as a disciple to those who are ready to learn his word and to those who are ready to do his word. Tune in, right? That's the word of God. Here's, here's the thing, okay? We're going to jump into Psalm 1, but here's the thing. When this comes to the word of God, notice what it does. Have you ever gone to one of those places, all-you-can-eat places, you know, where they have like a thousand different, I mean, it's all you can eat, right? And it's just like, have you ever gone in there? You're just like, yeah, you pay your 11 bucks and you're like, man, I'm in, I'm going to have steak. I'm having, and you just go to town, right? I'm making y'all hungry. I know. What happens? Eventually you start off good, right? You're carrying your plate like this. Rah! Look at this, right? You have, you, you put every single thing on that one plate. Like if you can't go back. I ain't lying. That's y'all, right? That's what we do. And so we eat, right? And then so all of a sudden we get full. Oh, I'm getting full. But I really saw that macaroni and cheese. And the macaroni and cheese look good and I really want. And so we go back and we start putting a little of everything just so we can taste it. And so we'll taste a little bit of that and be like, right? But then there's dessert. Okay. You go, are you going somewhere? Probably not. But anyway, (laughs) so you get dessert, right? And all of a sudden, man, you're just like, and somebody says, hey, you want this roll? And you're like, man, I paid for it. Give me it. All right? And you put it in your mouth. You're so full. What's the first thing you say? I'm never eating again in my life. Are you kidding me? We walk out like this. Just What, what, what do you say? Roll me out. Here's the beauty of God's word. When you eat God's word, you don't get full. You get hungrier. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's opposite, right? We go, we eat normal food and we're just like, I can't eat another bite. No, 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 no. No. But in God's word, you go and he awakens you and he says, you want some more? You're like, man, I'm hungry and you can't stop. And your wife's hitting you at two o'clock in the morning. Go to bed. And you're like, I can't stop. It's so cool. Look what I've learned. That's what it does. That's what he's saying, guys. He's saying it awakens us. And it does that. Is the word of God doing that for you? 
Is it calling to you? I love, I love the illustration of having coffee with Jesus in the morning. And sometimes when I sleep in, I can picture Jesus holding the coffee going, are you, you coming? I, I, I'll be out here waiting for you. It's going to be a great time. You coming? Right? And we go, oh, let me I want to get up and go, yeah, Lord, I'm coming. Let me get my coffee. All right, what do you have for me, God? Can I, can I share something that it maybe happens to you? It happens to me. We get on our phones. And we start looking at days. And we, you know, some of us look at Facebook and some of us look at Instagram or our calendars or whatever it is, and we miss what God has for us. And I know it's a discipline, but we've got to put the phone away and say, okay, God, what do you have? Speak to me. Speak to me. Well, that was a big intro. Let's jump into our text. Remember, the key subject is the centrality of God's word in life, the fruitfulness. Look at verse 6 with me, guys, in Psalm 1. It presents the key to understanding the psalm, right? For the, word, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the ungodly shall perish. That's giving you the key. In this psalm, the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly are contrasted, okay? So let's talk about the way of the righteous first off. That's what he's going to talk about. Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now catch this. Right off the bat, the man does, does not do three things. You go, what's that? He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the path of sinners, and he does not sit in the seat of the scornful. But let's break this down, okay? If you have a pencil handy, circle that word for blessed. It starts off with the word blessed, and you go, what does it mean? It means, it's, it's, the, it's the Hebrew word esher, and it, and it means happiness, Oh, how happy, blessed, and approved. That's what it means. Okay? Oh, how happy. Now, here's what I want you to see. In the law of first mention, you guys are familiar with the law of first mention. You go, you go what is it? It's when it's mentioned, that word is mentioned the very first time. There's the law of first mention. You've got to see when the context, because that's how it's going to be used throughout the rest of the Bible. Okay, so what was the law of first mention? It was found in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 29. And it says, happy are you, O Israel. You who like a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and your sword and your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread on their hard places. Do you see where it's used? The law first mentions, man, it says, in the context of blessing, of salvation and safety. Our happiness comes from a relationship with Jesus. So he starts off and he says, listen, this is how you're happy. This is how you're happy. A lot of people think they get happy by accumulating stuff, material, things, relationships. He says, you're, you, you want true joy? You want true happiness? Where's your salvation? Where does your salvation and security lie? It lies in Jesus. It lies in Jesus. And he says, and he says this. Okay, so what, are they doing? What, what, what is the righteous man? He says he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. See, the ungodly have counsel, and the righteous man will not walk in it. Why? A lot of times when we go through stuff, what do we do? We have a choice. We can go to the godly or we can go to the ungodly. They both have counsel. The righteous man says, no, 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 I don't want worldly wisdom. I, I, want, I want godly wisdom. 
That's what a righteous man is. He says, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna walk in that. I'm not gonna walk in that, man. So, so the question we ask is, where do we get our counsel from? Right? Godly men and godly women who love you or worldly ungodly people who sometimes have a chip on their shoulder. You know what I'm talking about? Well, let me tell you a thing. I was married and now look. And, and I mean, they're just so bitter and ugly and godly that when you ask them, what do you think I should do? They're giving you this bad advice. You want to go to a godly man and say, give me the counsel of the word of God. What else don't they do? Number two, they don't stand in the path of sinners. Sinners have a path, right? This is where they stand, and the righteous knows he does not belong on that path. Path speaks of a way, a road, direction, and the righteous man traveling in the same direction as the sinners. You go, what is it? You ready? Jot this down. Who do you spend time with? Who's your BFF? Who's the one that you really hang out with? Are they godly? Are they, are they, are they lifting you up? Or why? Because do you remember that old saying? I remember this a long time. There was an old saying that said, show me who your friends are and I'll show you who you are. Anybody remember that? Nobody here? You remember? Just a couple. Yeah. Show me who your friends are and this is exactly who you are. This is what he's saying, guys. He's saying, be careful with who you spend time with. Why? Because the, the ungodly will pull you away from serving God. A really simple illustration. It's easier to pull someone down than to pull them up. It really is. Pastor, I'm strong. Listen, I'm up here and I lift weights and I bench 300 pounds. Not really, I'm just saying. But I'm going to get Santos and I'm going to pull him up here. I guarantee you that if me and Santos were trying to pull each other, it's going to be a lot easier for him to go, get down here. Doesn't matter how strong you are. Why? It's easier, gravity and all that. Same thing with, same thing with who we spend time with. He says, does not sit in what? In the seat of the scornful. The scornful love to sit and criticize the people of God. Don't they? He says, you're not hanging out with people. This is just my opinion. The word of God doesn't say that, but I wonder if somebody's criticizing, are they also complaining? You know what I found when I hang out with people who complain? I complain. It's so, it's so weird. I know. You guys look at me like, you? I said, I know. But it only took four days, and I was complaining about everything. And the Lord's like, really? And I was just like, oh, so busted. So it just, it's easy, isn't it? But, but the righteous man says, no, no, no. Be careful. Be careful. Look, it goes on to verse 2. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law he meditates day and night. Do you see that? Notice, he says, eh, but his delight, that means pleasure, happiness, please. That's where you're going to be. He's so happy with God's word that he meditates it on it day and night. You know the illustration of meditation, right? You ever, you ever know that a cow, a cow has what? Three stomachs, right? You know what it does with his food? Whenever a cow has food, it chews the food and it swallows it, right? And it goes into one stomach. And then just a bit, a little bit later on, what does it do? He brings it back up. And he starts chewing on it again. Did you, anybody know this? A couple, right? Yeah, you knew. Then he goes into the second stomach and it sits in there and gets in the juices a little bit, right? And then what does he do? He brings it back up and chews on it some more. Then he goes into the third stomach. Isn't that a beautiful picture of how we should meditate on the word of God? 
Why? You get the word of God, you chew on it, swallow it, and then you go into your day and you come to a red light and you go, hey, remember that passage? Bring it back up. Start chewing on a little bit more. Oh, got to go. Then you swallow it and go down the road. All right, get to your destination. You're sitting there waiting for the doctor to see you and you go, oh, you know that passage? That's how you meditate. That's what he says. You want to be happy, meditate on what? The word of God over and over and over. What happens? Notice verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth fruit in season, whoever whose leaf also shall not wither, and, and whatever he does shall prosper. If you're going to plant a tree, where's the best place to plant it? In the ground. Hello. Come on, guys. <laughs> by the water. Because if it gets near the water, those trees are hard to move. You realize that, right? Because it's getting all the nutrients and everything it needs, and the roots will go deep. Other tree over here, far from the water, is going, help me, help me, I need water. It's dying, but not this one. He says, guys, when you meditate on the word of God, you're going to be like that tree. And guess what that tree is going to do? You're going to start producing fruit. Well, what kind of fruit? Well, Galatians tells us the fruit of the Spirit, right? You want, you want fruit? It should be joy, peace. Long-suffering, love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruit that you should be producing. I got a quick question, right? I've got six minutes to finish this study, but I got a quick question. Whenever you have fruit, we have an apricot tree at our house, right? We have an apricot tree. Do you realize that 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 tree has never eaten one apricot? Why? It's producing fruit for us, for me. When you produce fruit, guess who it's for? Somebody else, right? Brother Joe has squash. He's been bringing us squash and onions. Never has the ground ever eaten its own. Why? Because it produces fruit for somebody else, and we all get to partake in that. We're like, man, this is amazing. That's the same thing in our lives, right? That's the same thing. And whatever you do, the Bible says you'll prosper. That's it. I knew it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be rich. Prosper. That's not what you think. Okay? That's not what you think. It's not, it's not that everything you touch turns to gold. Okay? What it means, guys, it means that as you walk with God, everything that you do, God's going to bring forth something good and wonderful out of it. We get that confused with money. What's the contrast? Well, verse 4, the ungodly are not so. They're like chaff, which the wind drives. And notice what he said, everything true about the righteous man, stable as a tree, continual life, nourishment, fruitful, alive, prosperous. If you're ungodly, guess what? It's not so. It may seem like the ungodly have things, right? You go, man, I know some ungodly men. They're richer than I am. It may seem like that, church, but it's not so. These things are fleeting, and it doesn't bring any peace in their life. It says they're like chaff. You know what chaff is? They used to get the chaff, and the way you blew the chaff is you would throw it up, and the wind would blow it away. And that's what their life is like, guys. And because of that, look at verse 5. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Notice what he says, guys. Catch what he just said. I want you to see it, okay? I know we're almost done, but I want you to see what he said because I looked at it twice. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment. I'm going, wait a minute. I want them to stand in judgment. They should be judged. No, no, listen to it again. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of righteousness. You go, you're going, why? Why? Because the ungodly have no weight. They will be found lacking in the day of judgment. This is why. Do you guys remember the reference in Daniel chapter 5, verse 27 to Belshazzar? This is the interpre- interpretation of the word many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed and found, you've been waiting the balances and found wanting. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, listen. The ungodly is not going to stand in judgment. They have no weight. There's nothing to judge. They have already perished. Neither is the righteous going to stand where? Nor the sinner going to stand with the righteous. One pastor writes it like this, and I liked it. This is true of both future, because sinners will not share the same glorious future as the righteous. It's also true in the present because sinners sense that they do not belong in the congregation of the righteous if they insist in remaining sinners. Now, note the summary of our text. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. If you have a pencil handy, you can circle that word know because a lot of times we think it's an intellectual, just awareness. Oh, God knows this. It's actually, he, the word is, he has chosen them, watched over them, and brought them to and brought them finally to glory. It's a different than just kind of an awareness. He's not going, oh, I know, I know him. He's like, I know them. It's an experiential knowledge. Let's close our first chapter with this, guys. I don't know if you caught this, but the psalm begins with blessed and ends with perish. Blessed and perish. Here's why. You ready? True believers are blessed in Christ. It's not about money. It's not about possessions. It's about being blessed. It's about being happy. It's that joy. It's that peace. They receive God's blessing and then should be a blessing to those who don't know Jesus yet. And so tonight, guess what we saw? We saw two men. You saw the righteous and the ungodly. You saw two paths. Which one are you on? Right? And two destinies. Where are you going to end up? And that's what it's all about, guys. So the question I leave you with is, is which path are you on? You, you see, the Bible said, you know, Jesus said this. He said, if you're not for me, you're against me. And we wouldn't come to church going, I'm against, I'm not, I'm not against God. I have anything against Jesus. But the Bible says, if you're not for me, you're against him. And, and again, which path, which destiny are you going to end up in? And that's what the psalmist is trying to say. He says, the Lord knows He knows the way of the righteous. He knows the way of the righteous, but he says, but the way of the ungodly are going to perish. And then he stands and he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. And he says, how many of you would do that? How many of you say, listen, I give my life to Jesus. I want to follow him in the righteous way. Amen.
Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word tonight. We thank you for a great start to our playlist. We're excited, Lord. It's going to set in motion where we're going to go next. And we thank you, God. What a great song. And we're just bopping. And we love the centrality of the word of God. And so we just pray, God, that you would continue to just uh, push that word of God in our heart. Lord, that, that we would be more doers of the word. That, that Listen, that we've heard it tonight, but that we would apply it. That, Lord, for some of us, we'd make provision in the morning to get up and spend time with you. For some of us, it might be at night. Uh, the kids go to bed. You're going to spend time with you. But growing in your words, God, help us to put the phone away, Lord. I'm guilty. Help us to put the phone away. Check. We don't need to worry about emails. We need to hear from the God who loves us. Lord, I know we feel like we have time, 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 time. But Lord, we want to know you. We want to grow and we want to help others. Help us to strengthen those that are, that are weary. Love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.